0: Amen. Thank you, Tim. Genesis 15 this morning will be in the entire chapter. The title of the sermon is The God Who Justifies. The God Who Justifies. There are basically uh, in the world thousands of religions, false religions, and they all have a commonality, and the commonality that they have is their message that they bring. Religion in general, false religions of the world, say that there is a God, and he or she can be happy with you based on what you do. Uh, so how do you get peace with God? That's the question. And religion, with almost a, one unified voice, screams back, it's up to you. You've got to, through uh, stop doing, um, stopping doing the things that your, your God of choice tells you to stop doing, and then start doing the things that your God of choice tells you to do, And by your ability, by your ability to to just simply be a better person, you can make this God happy. So you can have peace with God through your exertion, through your asceticism, through your efforts. And that's the message of the world. It's maybe got a different name to it, but that's it. If you can be saved, if there is a God, then it's up to you, it's on your shoulders. And you need to be the best person that you can be, be as moral as you can be, and do as many good things as you can do, so this God would be happy with you. And Christianity comes along, and we've got the, the market on this message, because it's not found anywhere else in the world. It can be highly offensive, it's wildly misunderstood, but Christianity and Christianity alone has this different message, and it's one of the reasons why Christianity can be so compelling, because it's so different. Its message is different than any other message in the world. and It says you can't get to God. It says you can't save yourself. It says that you can't find Him. Christianity tells us that we've sinned against God and that you cannot make yourself right with Him. You can't. It flies in the face of every other message in the world. But then Christianity also says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus isn't lost. We were. God finds us. God comes to those who can't get to Him. Jesus dies for those who sinned against Him. Jesus makes you right with the Father. So false religion then says you can, God can't. Christianity says you can't, God can, and that is different, and it's compelling, and it's unique, and at least that message hopefully for the skeptic, for the non-believer, maybe you're here today and you still have questions, at least it may turn your ears toward this message and tune you in a little bit to say, you know what, that is kind of unique, and it starts with that that bad news before it gets to the good news. So this morning, we're going to get a crystal clear message of salvation by faith alone, It busts on the scenes in Genesis 15, and it's beautiful, and it's glorious. We're not saved by works of the law. We're saved by faith, and faith alone. It's not about what we can do or not do. We're saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to glory be to God alone. So in verse 3 of chapter 15, we get started with a conversation, a conversation between God and Abram. Here's how it goes. Look with me. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. So we get this conversation in this scene. It starts with God coming to Abram and telling him something. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. And immediately it kind of pulls back a rock and opens up some questions for Abram because he begins to think about all the things that God had promised him before. And he's thinking, I don't have an heir. And I'm kind of scanning the family, my household, and I don't have a son of my own. So who's going to be this? Who's going to be this heir? And so he asks the Lord a question. He's still a little bit confused. He's thinking, reward, that's great, okay. But what about this whole offspring thing? I still don't have a son. And it's like God saying, okay, it's like Abram saying, God, how's this going to happen? Uh, what, what are you up to? Okay, it must be Eleazar of Damascus. It must be him, because it can't be my son. My wife and I are too old to have children, so it's got to be this guy. Well, God, in verse 4 and 5, answers back, and he tells Abram this, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son, Shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Abram, look at the heaven, look toward the heaven, number the stars if you can. If you can do it, number it. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now I love this scene. I love that God can point to His creation that, that, that He made, that He spoke into an ex, into existence, and then bring Abram and say, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a metaphor here. I'm going to give you a little bit of an illustration here to help you out with the, the promise that I've given you. I'm just not going to tell you. I'm going to show you now, and I want you to go out, and I want you to, to start numbering the, the stars, and I love our new place. I can step out in the mornings, and we have a big open area. We don't live in the city anymore, so we're sort of in the country a little bit. You step out, and in the nighttime, you can see. Just a huge sky of stars. I love it. It's just absolutely beautiful. And if I was to try to count the stars, even in this, you know, in Carbondale, I mean, there's still the, the city lights from this major urban center that we live in called Carbondale. Um, but uh, we see that, we, I see just countless numbers of stars, and they really, I mean, they're just that. It defines it, countless, so you just can't count it. And God tells Abram, nope, you're going to have your very own son, and through your very own son, you're not going to be able to count. Just like you can't count those stars, you're going to have so many offspring after you, you're not even going to be able to count them. If you were to come to your family reunion years and years down the road, you would look out at this family reunion. I mean, it would be impossible to count. It's just a sea of people. It's like the stars in the heaven. You just can't tell. You can't see. It's going to happen. The heir will be Abram's very own son. And in verse 6, we get this, I mean this is the scene. I mean this is it. This is the verse. This is where New Testament uh, the New Testament authors come back to you over and over and over again. Here it is. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the promise that God gave him. God looked at Abram, told him to look at the stars. And Abram looked at the stars and he believed what God told him. He expressed faith. He trusted. He knew what, what God is telling me right now will happen. And he trusted in what the Lord told him. And what did God do? God counted his faith as righteousness. And this is the message that Christianity hinges on. Justification by faith apart from works of the law. Remember, works are the basis of salvation for every other message in the world. And then here, it busts on the scene, and here Abram is being counted righteous for just believing something God told him would happen. This is something new. This is something different. This is something compelling. This is something that should draw us to the front of our seats and wonder and stare at it and think, what, what is going on here? Because I don't hear anything like this anywhere else in the world. And even if we've heard it time and time again, Martin Luther said it like this, each week I pre- ju- preach justification by faith to my people because each week they forget. And I want to add, each week I forget. I forget. And I want to add each week in this room, and it may be a moment here and a moment there, but we forget, and we begin measuring ourselves, measuring performance, measuring our status with the status of our peers, and we begin to look and scan and judge. And we need to be reminded again this morning about justification by faith. This idea of being counted righteous. Abraham didn't become righteous, he was counted righteous, it's important. Just like for us in this room, we'll see here after a while, for you who are a Christian in this room, you're counted righteous. But my friends, you are not righteous yet. We are growing in godliness, but we are counted with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ upon us. I look at my life, and I'm still stumbling forward. I'm, I, there's, it's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The simplicity of that, what, what appears to be so simple, even me with the Holy Spirit given to me, and you with the Holy Spirit given to you, as we begin to think about how well I'm loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, it becomes painfully aware that I'm thankful that I'm counted righteous because I'm falling woefully short still. And if you just ask yourself, could you this week have loved the Lord with a little bit, and Nora's like, yeah, I think so. Could you have loved the Lord with a little bit more of your heart this week? Your affections. Your affections dull. You know, we're commanded to have joy. You realize that? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Were you joyful all week long? with all your mind. Do you love the Lord with all your mind this week? Abram, by faith, and we to this day by faith, not because of our performance, not because we're actually righteous, we are counted righteous in Christ. Abram didn't work. He believed and he was counted righteous. Martin Luther again says this, justification is the article by which the church stands or falls. Luther again, when the article of justification is fallen, everything is fallen. John Calvin said, justification by faith is the hinge on which all true religion turns. Thomas Watson says, justification is the very hinge and pillar of Christianity. Every error about justification is very dangerous. It's like a defect in a foundation. Justification by Christ is a spring of the water of life. To have the poison of corrupt doctrine cast into this spring is damnable. We hear quotes like this from heroes of the faith, and we wonder, what what is it about this doctrine of justification that's so important? Of being right with God, of the declaration of God that somebody can be forgiven, actually forgiven. Not with a question mark, wondering, am I actually... No, actually the thunder of the gavel of the God of the universe coming down on behalf of somebody and declaring, you're righteous, you're forgiven. It's finished and taken care of. And apparently this message, this passage of being counted righteous is so important that here's of old, call it the hinge, the pillar. If we get it wrong, we miss the gospel itself. And so there are important things that we're talking about here today. This message of Christianity and only Christianity. Sinners are saved by faith alone and not through works of the law. You cannot be saved without faith. We see that here. Abram believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Nobody who has ever been a Christian, nobody who's ever been a follower of the Lord became a Christian in a different way than through faith. And if you've never, by the grace of God, expressed faith in Christ today, or in your life, you can't be a Christian, period. You have to have faith. And if you don't have faith, you're not a Christian. You have to have it. And Abram, in this instance, believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I want you to look at it again, verse 6, because I want us to hear it over and over again. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it, God counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Righteousness. But here, there's a couple questions that I want to ask about this thing called faith. Because it could be appealed from Abram or from us in this room that faith could be considered a work. So the question that I have is two questions actually isn't faith kind of like a work? And the second question is isn't faith kind of like a choice? Work or choice? So couldn't Abram's faith be his good contribution, so him believing, couldn't that have been his good contribution to God, coming from him, giving the work called faith to God, and then God rewarding him because of his faith, and God doing his part called salvation. So Abram doing his part, faith. God doing his part, salvation. Because it's easy to turn this thing called faith into a work. And so we've got to explore a little bit. Is faith a work by which we are justified? Or is faith something unique? Is it something different than a work? Because in decisions that we make in our life, uh, if we make a good decision, we would call that a good work. And so is faith this just in- another thing in the line of-, of good decisions, good work? Is faith something that we just, everybody just kind of walks around with in our back pocket, and at any given time, we can kind of we can kind of pull that thing out, and, and uh, oh, here's some receipts for Rachel. You know? <laughs> and just kind of give our faith wherever we want it. We just all have it just a part of being human. Okay, is that the case? Well, thanks for asking. You're asking great questions this morning. (laughs) Faith is not a work. And here's why I want to tell you it's not a work. Not because of argumentation. Not because of trying to untie theological knots. Faith is not a work because the Bible tells us it's not a work. Romans 3 verse 28 says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Faith is this category in and of itself apart from works of the law. It is not a work by which we can assure we can hang our hat of assurance. In other words, faith is not a work as the Bible tells us so. Faith is not a work that we get rewarded for. Faith is expressed away from itself and toward Christ. In other words, our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Jesus. So to have faith in the Lord is not to have faith in your faith. It's to have faith away from itself. So I'm not thinking about when I was five years old, I became a Christian, and I don't look back to this moment and hinge my assurance on the faith that was expressed that day. My hope is not in my faith. By the grace of God, our hope is in Jesus. Not by what happened when I was born again when I was a little boy not by the strength or the courage of my decision or the ability that I've had over the years. That, and I'm not saying that I have this, but I'm saying this is a faulty way of looking at it. The ability that I've had over the years to, to figure out apologetics and, to, and figure out how things work and how this faith things work. And then I did take this deposit that was given to me called faith and, and put it out here. It's, it's not that at all. We don't trust in our faith. Faith looks away from itself and towards something and that something is Jesus Christ. So our faith is in Christ. Our faith is not in our faith. If our faith is in our faith, it would be this work that we just kind of gave to God and God in response, just okay. So faith looks away from itself and toward something else. Second, faith is not a choice. It's a gift. To reduce faith to a choice is to take the supernatural out of it. Faith makes decisions, but choices are not faith. That's important. Faith makes decisions, but decisions don't equate faith. It's something more than that. When we became a Christian, it wasn't because we figured it out and then just cognitively willed ourselves to decide to do something for God. And even though externally everything looks like that, and even though we did have to get into this thing through making a decision, faith doesn't mean a choice. It's two separate things. Faith makes choices, but a choice doesn't mean faith. And why do I say that? Well, I say that because faith is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In Philippians 1, 29 it says, For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, it's been granted to you to believe okay, in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Faith is is a gift. I'll say it again, faith makes choices, but choice does not mean faith. In verse 7, we get a really great case study about this because I want you to see in verse 7 the argument that could happen when Abram hears these words. Remember the valiant faith that was seen in Genesis chapter 12 when God says to Abram, I'm calling you out, I'm going to bless you, and there's going to be a, 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 an offspring is going to be, it, it come after you and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed, and I want you to come and follow me. I'm not going to tell you where to go. And Abram leaves everything from the land or walks out, or the land of uh, Haran, and Haran, Haran, Illinois, and leaves everything, walks out, and follows the Lord. And then we get these highly offensive words from the Lord, and if I was Abram, I mean, I would be like, wait, 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 wait what a second, wait a second, what? Verse 7, And he said to him, God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I am the one who brought you out and gave you this land to possess. And could not have Abram said, Wait a second, God, I followed you out. I'm the one who brought all the possessions, all my people, all the animals, the herds, did all the work of moving. God, have you ever had to move? Moving is, I just had to move. It's terrible. Moving is just exhausting. It's terrible. You hate it. And you vow as soon as you get the last thing in place, which hasn't happened for us yet, you vow never again. (laughs) Ever. That's it. Or we're going to somehow get rich and pay somebody to do it. It's just terrible. He picks up, moves everything, follows the Lord, and God says, no, I did that. And Abram could have easily just, I mean, piped up and said, oh, wait, 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 God? Hey, uh, come on here. How about a little pat on the back? <laughs> I did the work. Come on. I did it. And did he not? He did follow the Lord. I think we can in one voice say, yes, he followed the Lord. He did that. But I think it's important for us to see that Abram didn't pipe up. He was okay with God declaring that to him. And I want to say it like this about this whole thing called faith. Um, I uh, have a stand-up desk. And uh, Greg Donaldson's here when I was part of Cornerstone. Uh, Cornerstone graciously, uh, instead of buying me a desk, gave me money to have my father-in-law build me a stand-up desk. And as a parting gift, uh, when I left there, I got to take my stand-up desk. And I love this thing. I mean, it is cool. And I think if you were to see it, you would agree with me that it is very cool. And let's just set up a scenario here. Say... I've got my setup, my, my desk set up. I don't right now; it's still in storage. But you come and let's just say it's at my house or at here, the building, or at our future church building that we hopefully will get. And uh, you come and you just start to admire that desk. You say, "You know what? By golly, that's a that's a pretty cool desk." Jared, I agree with that. And Conrad likes it back there. I mean, he he thinks it's pretty cool. Um, and man, I just really and they just started praising the builder of the desk, my father-in-law. He did such a great job. How does he know how to do this? Boy, the craftsmanship, the the skill that it was required to craft this thing and then to give that to you. And, well, that's just such a great thing that he would do that for you. And what if, as they were praising the builder, you saw me in the corner, my hands were sweating, and you could tell I was like getting agitated. And I was just, and as you were praising the builder at the desk, you just heard me say in the corner, Yeah, but I accepted that gift. Talk about lack of self-awareness, right? (laughs) Well, you weirdo, of course you accepted it. (laughs) Like, of course you accepted it. I mean, like, but why are you wanting to take credit away from the one who built it and gave it to you? Like, of course you accepted the gift. That's a given. But the good news isn't that you accepted something. The good news is that you had a builder and all these means, and they gave it to you. And here it is with this thing called faith. It, It isn't something that we attained, it's something that we received. It's something that was given to us. And its builder was God Himself. And God did all this thing. And He made it for us and He did all this work and gave it to us. And we are recipients of the grace of God. And why is it then do we have this, we have this nagging, gnawing desire to want to say, I accepted this thing called faith. Which you did. It's a gift. It's not a work, and it's not a choice. And yet it is a work and a choice, ironically. But it's a gift from the God of the universe, not from you, from Him to you, through you, toward Him. I would say that again, but I couldn't remember how to say that again. (laughs) I brought you out. In verse 9 through 11, we get to start to fill in some of the gaps of this message of justification. In verse 9 through 11, as we go down, we see kind of this peculiar scene because God tells Abram to do something unique. But he said to him, verse nine, 9, O Lord, O Lord God, how am I to know? Excuse me, Abram had one more question. He brings the question to God after uh, God told him this. He said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He's like, I still got one question, God. How, how, do, how am I supposed to know this? He said to him, God, to Abram, bring me a heifer, three years old, a male goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over and against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What a weird scene. Right? (laughs) Odd, is it not? Uh, Commentators almost universally agree. Uh, On this, Um, what we see here is blood being spilled. Okay, these five animals are five acceptable sacrifices in the future one-day Mosaic Law. So we find in this passage a pointer forward. We're going to see that it continues to point forward even beyond the law of Moses here in a second. But it points us forward towards blood sacrifices. For for this thing to happen, for Abram to know God's faithfulness to him, blood would need to be spilled. So Abram collects these animals and splits them in half. And then half of the animals are on this side. Half are on this side. Blood is spilled everywhere. And there's an aisle down the middle, just kind of like this right here. So there's an aisle with the halves of the animals on this side. And... It's odd. It's unique. We don't typically do that. We don't say, hey, you know what? I'll sell you this vehicle, but go get me a couple animals first, and uh, we'll rip them in half and walk through it and, and, and agree on the terms. <laughs> you know, I think the Craigslist guy would hightail it out of there and head out. You know, you probably could find some Craigslist guys, actually, that are like that on the Internet. Um, so how can I know? So so what we see here is this this ancient covenantal, ritual that, that plays out for us uh, what a covenant is. So when the blood is spilled through the death of these sacrifice, sacrifices, it signifies the fate of those who would break the covenant. So two people, as this was made, okay, God and Abram are going to make this covenant together, and there's going to be conditions, and, and there's going to be requirements from both parties, and they're going to declare what they're going to do in this covenant. And as they then, here in a second, they're going to walk through this, this covenant. And as the blood was spilled and the sacrifices, the sacrifices were killed and the blood was spilled, the covenantal requirements would be laid out for both parties. And when both sides understood what their responsibilities were, they would walk through and between the blood and the sacrifice. And then it was like saying that death is going to be the consequence for any party that breaks their responsibilities of the covenant. So if you were to say, I'm going to do this, and the other party is saying, I'm going to do this, and you walk through the spilled blood of the sacrifices, you walk through and you're saying, this will be my fate if I break my vow. If I don't fulfill it, it's death to me. Curses be upon me, I'm doomed. And so this is what God brings to Abram. And they're going to should walk through after the covenant requirements are laid out. They'll walk through this covenant and do this covenant ceremony. And then we get to see this unique covenant in verse 12 and 16. The sun's going down. A deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. We've got to fill in some of these gaps then. So what is God's side, and what is Abram's side before they do this whole walking through thing that we're going to see in verse 17 through 20. There's this covenant. Abram still, even though he expressed faith, still had some questions. Is that kind of like you sometimes? Faith in Christ, still got some questions? Anybody? Okay. We, we see it right here. Abram already. You, you already see that this is not Abram, the one who figured everything out, because he still got questions. He just was counted righteous, but we still see he comes to God with, okay, what, what's going on? Faith, doubt. It's just like they... They stay mixed. Well, God, on His side, tells Abram some things. God told Abram what would happen and what he would do. God simply said to the fourth generation, they're going to get taken out, and I'm going to bring them back out of there, and they're going to have great possessions, and then I'm going to punish those whom kept these people, my people, under slavery. And then, He tells Abram to do nothing. He just tells him what's going to happen. Abram just gets information and there's nothing to do. As for you, you shall not go to your, you shall go to your father's in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. Nothing about obeying, nothing about continuing to believe. just he just tells them what's going to happen. And so it's interesting. it, it can be somewhat confusing, um, but it's telling us something. It's going to tell us something here in a second. Verse 17 to 21, look with me. when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, and the Kenizites and, Ken- and the Hizzites, and the Perizzites the Riphium, the Amorites, the Canaanites... The Gish Gish ger, get, uh, ites, and the jebia sites. You stumble through it, and then just say "ites," and you're okay. We have these two things that walked through the covenant ritual: a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Go through, and this is where commentators again almost universally agree. It's fascinating. Abram doesn't even walk through. And most commentators agree that this is God Himself saying to Abram, walking through the covenant and saying, I got this. I got all of it. For you to be right with me, for you to be in covenant with me, it, I got this. I'm going to do your side And my side, anything I would ever require from you and your descendants, any of the people that I'm, any of the law that I'm going to give, any of the requirements that I'm going to give, I will take care of it. And God himself walks through the sacrificial blood, walks through, and Abram doesn't even follow. He's asleep doing nothing except hearing from God in a dream. God himself walks through the blood and the split sacrifices. It was like God was telling Abram, I got this, I'm going to fulfill it, I'm going to do it. I will even take responsibility if anybody ever breaks it. And if there's any breaking of the covenant in the future, if you or your descendants ever sin against me, I'll take care of it, I'll do it. And instead of you dying and being split open and your blood being spilled as these sacrifices I'll be the one that's split open. I'll be the one who sp- spills their blood. And you will not be punished for your rebellion and your sin against me. I'll take care of it all. I will be torn apart with blood freely flowing if this covenant is ever broken. And friends, here we get to Jesus, the covenant keeper. This is the narrative of the entire Bible. Genesis 15 is a pointer. It points beyond the law of Moses and it points us to a hill called Calvary. From the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve forward, God has given humanity laws and conditions with blessing and cursing for both obedience and disobedience. If you do this, I will do this. If you do this, you will be cursed. You will be blessed or you will be cursed. There are consequences and conditions given to humanity from the garden forward. And Jesus comes and He keeps every covenant requirement given from Adam to Eve, Noah, Abram, Isaac, Moses, David. Jesus accomplished all of our side of the covenant requirements for us. Everything that could be accomplished, everything that God commanded humanity, both in Adam and Abram and Moses and David, Noah, all that was commanded to us, Jesus does it for us every bit of it. Every bit of it. He is the great covenant keeper. God Himself proved Himself to be true where that smoking fire and that hot pot, I'm screwing that up, that we'll call it a hot pot, flaming torch and a smiling, sm- uh, smoking fire, hot pot, uh, uh, walked through this fire. God Himself really did do it all. He's taken care of it as we sleep and do nothing. God takes care of it. So Jesus then goes to the cross and gets judged. Crazy. Here's the story as a covenant breaker. Because, friends, God has told us to do some things, He's given us His law, even written it on our hearts. And even though there's a moral revolution everywhere, I've still yet to this day ever heard anybody in the most wicked society yet say murder, that's a good thing. We have this conscience from society to society that echoes the image of God within us. And we have broken and sinned against God. Time and time again. I ask at the beginning of the sermon, spirit-filled believers who have the Holy Spirit, I've been walking with Jesus for year after year after year after year. And you're still not actually righteous. Your sin has warranted you this week death. And Jesus comes and He steps in the place of covenant breakers and to us who deserve to have our blood spilled, torn limb from limb, who deserve, deserve eternal punishment of the hell fire. Jesus comes and instead of us receiving that punishment, He gets His blood spilled. He gets torn proverbially from limb to limb. His blood is spilled. He was cursed. Jesus did it all. And what do we get? Not curses, blessing. Forgiveness, righteousness, all of Jesus's both active and passive obedience given to us, counted as ours. The whole life that Jesus lived counted as if we lived that actual life. The life that actually earned and warranted the declaration, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. The one who warranted that, the one who heard the words at his baptism, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, because of what he has done, we get to hear those very words. Jesus didn't come just to make us. This is how it ties in together. Forgiven people. He came to get a family for his father. And we, because of what Jesus has done, because God, the great covenant keeper, does it all, we get to be counted as sons and daughters of the living God. And that is unbelievable good news. Like Abram, we have nothing to do with it. God does it all. And it's powerful. It's beautiful. It's extraordinary. It's lavish. It's this thing called grace. He's gracious. (laughs) Faith. And not by works of the law. And yet so many of us want to package up the law. In this world, want to package the law and try to beautify it. After all, God's good law is good and it's right. And want to make that the message of salvation. Offer it. And it's like when Jerry Seinfeld, I think it was, went running for a little ways, gave somebody a glass of water at the end of the run, and instead of water it was a big smoldering hot cup of coffee. If you're in the, at the end of a run, and if you don't run, just imagine you're running. Uh, and if you at the end of that run just like go to tip back a big old hot cup of coffee, how unsatisfying that would be. And yet for so many of us, myself included, the message that we often can bring is here's a cup of coffee. Just do better. Just try harder. You have the Holy Spirit. Just be sensitive to Him this week and just try hard. Do better. And it's like coming and gathering here and here Ryan, here's scalding hot, hot cup of coffee. Here you go. Just when what we need in our soul is just water. Just give me some, gosh, give me a drink of water. And this morning, if you're in Christ, don't pat yourself on the back. Maybe your heart for the first time ever is so turned upward in gratitude that you just can't do anything but just worship. God, thank you. Thank you. Romans four one through five says this, and this is what the New Testament does time and time again, referencing the activities of God and Abram in Genesis. Romans chapter four, verse one through five says this What then shall we say was gained by Abram, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abram was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Until the day we die, our message here and our message for the world is not work hard, It's not get the Holy Spirit, then follow hard. It is the finished work of Jesus. Believe on Him alone. Don't believe in your belief. Don't believe in your work for God. Don't believe because you went to church five times in a row and gave this week. Don't believe because you're feeling Him more. Don't believe because you're trying harder. Your your, message isn't just try harder and, and now I'm sensing the Holy Spirit more. That's not the gospel. Believe Trust Him as He gives you faith. Express it as imperfectly as it may be. We give God our imperfect faith and a perfect Savior saves us and sustains us and our Heavenly Father loves us and the Holy Spirit comes to comfort us. This is the work of God, the work of grace, all of grace, all of God, and not of ourselves. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank You. It's just a privilege to love and serve you. It's a privilege to be counted righteous. And here in just a little bit when we receive communion, help us to remember Jesus Christ. Help us to think about His obedience lived for us and the fact that, that God, this whole idea of sacrifices and blood being spilled, then then Abram not even walking through, God, you just walking through and saying, I got this at great cost to myself. Holy Spirit, you're just so working us. And I don't know what you're doing with each person in here. But maybe there's been people here who've been content with giving you 99 hand claps of thanks for being a Christian. And today for the first time they're like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take back that hand. I'm going to take, take back that one pat on the back, that one hand clap to myself. And Jesus, I'm going to say you get it all. God, Holy Spirit, I just ask you would fill us, flood our hearts and our minds with gratitude. Thank you that the world says, thank you that our message is different. While the world says, You're saved by works, God, you come and say, Nope. You say, By faith, apart from works of the law, so that no one can boast. Boasting is silly. Get rid us of that, take it away. Help us to walk in humility with grateful and full hearts. I thank you for what you've done for us. You've taken care of it all. And Jesus, you were spilling, blood was poured out. And this morning, I know that there's a hyper, I know that most of the people in this room are believers in Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would grant repentance. And that as Abram believed, we would believe this morning. That somebody here knew this morning, or somebody who has been here for a while, that everybody suspects, oh yeah, they're a believer, duh. That they would have the same kind of faith Abram did. And they would believe. And they would be counted righteous. They would feel the weight on their shoulders relieved. And they'd be fully forgiven. Let's work powerfully. I trust that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to receive communion. And this side will come forward this way. This side will go to that way. And use this as a time to respond to the Lord in prayer. This is for all of us today. This isn't just a salvation appeal. This is for every, everybody in this room. The Holy Spirit has unique ways of working in each one of us. So respond to that. And so just push that to the side. If you want to just kneel and pray, you do that. Kurt does that sometimes. I love that. Where it's just the ability to sit and kneel. If you want to just sit... Close your eyes, pray, just think about the goodness of the Lord. You want to stand and shake your leg like I do? Do that, but just respond to Him. And spend time worshiping the Lord. And as you're ready, when you're ready, you go receive communion, and you'll just play in the background, and then we'll worship after that. We'll just worship, respond to the Holy Spirit, okay? God, you be honored, in Jesus' name, amen.